I just like really mm. can't believe that it's about to be 2022. It literally feels like I'm stuck in 2020 and nothing has really happened. I don't want to go there to be fair. No, I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> I see all these, like, I'm seeing all these fucking TikToks about how, like, 2021, my life changed with the business, the <laughs> pandemic. It pushed me to start my dream. And I'm like, bitch, I'm seven months into my dream and not much has happened yet. So give us five stars. I'm trying to wake up from my dream, yo. I'm living my dream, yo. It just doesn't pay me much, okay? Can't get a nice... I don't have a (laughs) nice... I don't have a nice marble backsplash that I can, like, brag about on TikTok, you know? I just have uh, this nice tapestry behind me that I can say get on Amazon. And Amazon, please uh, sponsor... Welcome, welcome, namaste to the <laughs> to the Red Rum and Red Wine podcast, the podcast where we talk about murder, mystery, mishaps, and the best places to get your tapestries. My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah, and I bought that tapestry for Kristen, mm-hmm. Kristen <laughs> off of Amazon. The best place to get your tapestries is from your best friend, and that's life advice. <laughs> subscribe for more <laughs> um i'm drunk how about you <laughs> i swear i was gonna say something i swear i don't i lost it i don't so. usually drink this much before an episode but like it is a tuesday so tuesday mm. <laughs> you gotta have twice as much <laughs> And that's on the Ten Commandments. But yeah, who's ready for um, to learn some mysteries in history? Because I'm not. I'm gagging at this story that I'm about to tell I, you. It might be because I didn't tell a story last week. But, I mean, time is time. I just feel like the last drunk history and mystery basically a month ago, which it was probably it was yesterday. more than a month no, it feels like two years ago for me. Uh, no, it feels like yesterday. I don't even know what I... I don't even remember what I talked <laughs> I about. I don't even remember what I talked about, but it does feel like it was just yesterday that we were sitting December. down. Oh, sudden human combustion. <gasps> and I talked about wee baby sudden. backs. Mm-hmm. 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 I just saw the title in my head. Yes. Yeah. Yep. God, that child labor laws. Sudden man. human combustion. Is that it? I feel like I'm missing a word. Yeah, Whatever. no. Spontaneous. Anyways, that was last spontaneous month. Spontaneous human uh, combustion of the combustions yeah. of your flatulence, which is my theory behind why people fucking go boom. Yeah, totally for. valid. It's the methane in the... Right? No. Anywho. <laughs> <laughs> Who's ready for some non-factual facts about history? Yeah, that go will... listen to our last one if you want to hear about that if you want to know some mysteries and the historical context then that's a series for you hello hi sorry what are you drinking oh 
I don't know. It is. Oh, <laughs> it's like I can't read. Caricature. <laughs> I was like, Caricature. is this Spanish? I don't know. <laughs> but yes, it's a red cool. blend. Very good. I cannot go wrong with red blends. Um, yeah. I heard it has a bit of a bite at the end, but I don't mind it. I just think it has maybe more of like you a... Like it. I'm like a little bite. I just, what that makes me think is maybe it's like more of a cab blend, but who knows? Yeah. I, 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 it's delightful. Mm -hmm. Nice. What about you? What about thou? Uh, Well, you know. Mm. Oak leaf. If oak leaf does not send us a case of wine one day, I'm going to be very disappointed. Uh, Yeah, I was, um, telling a friend back in san antonio rain's husband um that this was my go-to wine and he said that five ten years ago i don't know that oak leaf used to be like 298 like or two six some like definitely under three dollars raise now their prices 398 or like three and that's capitalism so. mm yeah well inflation is happening ridiculously across the united states of america be sure to fucking chug because like don't hold that up i need it (laughs) i need it oh can i suggest that you go first because i just really want to say mine last i'm down i don't care what order i go in and um and also i went first last or yeah you like technically like last episode i went yeah 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 It'll it'll so. make sense to the people that listen to it in order. If not, um, uh, screw you. Mm. This is our show. We do what we want. Okay? But also, hi, who listens to this podcast in order? I'd love for you to tell me who you are. Okay. I really don't know how to start mine off. It's, I'll just kind of get into it. It's more of a, a jaw dropper or whatever. It's very... Uh, Kind of mysterious, not creepy or gross, but mm. well, maybe a little creepy. I don't know. Okay, but you have most reeled of us... me in. Yeah. Oh, good. Mm. All right, mm. I caught you on the. Mm. Mm-hmm. Most of us have heard about the Bermuda Triangle. Yes, which is the area of ocean between Bermuda, Puerto Rico, and Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, strange things mysterious things happen like planes going down and vanishing or just straight up vanishing boats and ships just disappearing without a trace but have you ever heard of the alaskan bermuda triangle i can't say that i have honestly Ah, (laughs) i was like i probably feel like Kristen has but i don't know maybe (laughs) sorry it's not covid i promise i just negative (laughs) (laughs) don't think that i have but um oh it wasn't a ghost it was a speck okay but yeah i'm intrigued i'm a uh, yes okay more did you just think you saw a ghost yeah there was a speck of dust that floated and uh i thought it was a ghost. On my it, screen or your no, screen? No, on mine. It was a piece of lint because oh. I saw it in front of my eye. <laughs> I was like... Hmm. But yes. Tell me more. Tell Anyways, me more. Michael, God. 
Okay, so the Alaskan Bermuda Triangle is also known as Bermuda Triangle of Alaska or Alaskan Triangle or Alaska Triangle. I'm mostly going to say Alaskan Triangle Mm -hmm. just because it seems the easiest. It flows better off my tongue. Ooh, nice. And as many of us may know, Strange things kind of happen in Alaska. There's a history of, you know, lore and tales and extraterrestrial and just weird shit happening. Yeah. People it's like home to many legends. Alaskan Bulwer or whatever I named that episode. Like, yeah, I literally, my <laughs> little next dash is, for example, Kristen, you covered the Alaskan version of Bigfoot. Look, Sarah, which... we're such good promoters. We even promote ourselves. <laughs> like literally on this at the same time too, though. Great. Oh, um, and that episode is called Alaskan Bullworm, I believe, so... Go Sarah check that doing out. the work for me. Thank you, bestie. <laughs> Hyping me up. Uh, anyways, yeah. The Alaskan Triangle is said to be far more deadly and mysterious than its tropical counterpart, <gasps> the Bermuda. I honestly don't doubt that at all. Oh, it's crazy. And it's, I mean, some might think it's hard to believe because, um, like, with the ocean and how deep it is and how vastly undiscovered it is or un you know explored yeah it freaks it's me very out. easy to think that things can kind of sink and disappear i don't but... like the ocean for like that specific reason yeah right it's kind of creepy but i love it Mm-mm. well certain parts i no, guess no i don't like it Mm-mm. i like sharks but then they kill me so no yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> the Alaskan Triangle stretches through four ge- <laughs> four regions of wilderness in the northwest Alaska area. Oh. The border stretches from Utkayakvik, mm-hmm. formerly known as Barrow, which is much easier to say. <laughs> uh, but anyways, it's in northern Alaska, like right up on the coast, northern northern tip. Mm-hmm. And then it goes down to the north coast of Anchorage, which is kind of um, south-central Alaska, then across to the southern coast of Juneau. Juneau. And so, Kristen, the first picture I sent you is the map of Alaska and where the triangle is through it. You know what? And so you can see those points. I actually took a cruise once in Alaska. And it went right, so we went right into Seattle, and then we actually went into Juneau, and we definitely went through Anchorage. So, like, I really wonder if I, it kind of amazes me that this is, like, not really on the ocean, it's on land. So that makes me. It's all on land. That makes me think even more that, like, I was in this area. That kind of freaks me out. Why is it not on water? (laughs) Yeah, that's, um. Basically, my next point is because, so as I mentioned, the Bermuda Triangle is over the ocean. And I said, you know, it's creepy because there is that deep, unexplored parts of the oceans where things can just disappear. But this is... The Alaskan Triangle includes vast areas of unexplored wilderness with terrains that range from icy mountain peaks and mountain ranges desolate tundras which is just fucking ice cold nothing and like forests that fucking stretch oops 
stretch forever. So obviously this kind of terrain does not sound safe and has resulted in mysterious happenings like planes that go down and go missing, hikers go missing as well, and just as well as random tourists and locals vanish. So I'll talk about a few aircraft disappearances real quick. Okay. I don't know why seeing the photo just really geeks me out. Because, yeah. like, I don't know. Because when it's over an ocean, you're like, yeah, I sure, assumed it will disappear. that this was over an ocean. And I just see a piece of land and I'm like, uh, that makes it wor- worse. I'm, I'm, I need to take a bathroom break to, like, release the shit mm-hmm. that's in my butthole right now. <sighs> the triangle does include rivers and lakes, of course, uh, if that means anything. But it's definitely different than a whole triangle of ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's a mountain, it's just like, well, why would a hiker, like, go up that mountain? I mean, I get it, but, like, oh, it's just. There's towns and shit, I think, in the, uh, yeah. I mean, most of it is vastly treacherous terrain and unexplored, but I think on the edge points. Like where it's populated. You know, like on the southern part, you probably, that's where you would drive through to get from Juneau to Alaska. Yeah. Like, that's why I want to say, I think I have, whenever we docked and went into land, like, I would not be surprised if I stepped into a little bit of that territory. Right. And I will talk about a missing persons later who disappeared from, like, a place or a town In the middle of the fucking triangle, Mm -hmm. so. Give me more, give me more. Not to give anything away, but. The Alaskan Triangle gained widespread national attention in 1972 when a small airplane belonging to U.S. House Majority Leader Hale Boggs vanished somewhere in between Anchorage and Juneau. Damn. So, I just thought of this now to maybe look up like the mileage in between the two cities but i didn't i mean if you look at the map it's not incredibly far but i don't know what what i'm thinking of like that means anyways at least my mind is so fucked i'm like at least it was like a high enough official to where they would care to you know like document it because i could just imagine if it was like some random they would just be like (laughs) just wait oh my god because I don't know. This was in 1972, and certain aircraft things weren't a thing yet. Yeah. Um. Anyways, like people were still fucking smoking on planes. <laughs> yeah. On board the plane, and this was a small passenger plane. It was, or you know, um, I didn't get the type of plane, but mm. there was only three. Oh, four people on board. Oh, so shit. Really tiny. On board the plane was Hale Boggs. As I mentioned, I believe he owned the plane. Mm-hmm. Or it was at least a plane for him. I don't know. A congressman from Alaska named Nick Bejic. And an aide named Russell Brown. And their pilot, Don Johns. Johns is G-O-N-Z. I just think it's a cool name. <laughs> that is cool. The disappearance caused one of the country's largest search and rescue operations to take place, uh, which involved 50 civilian planes, 40 military aircrafts, 
and it lasted 39 days. They, yeah. And it spanned over the area of 32,000 square miles. Never heard of them doing that for a civilian. The search sadly resulted in zero discoveries, no human remains, no wreckage, no debris. Shit. There is kind of a fun fact or silver lining that I said we'd kind of get to, um, or, you know, I told you to just wait for, but after this little mishap, Congress passed a law which mandated emergency locator transmitters in all U.S. civilian aircrafts. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily a log, but you were kind of on the dot. Yeah. I mean, we're still at this point, like, literally putting wills in vending machines, um, but we're, we're, on the, we're on the right track, okay? It's getting there. Getting there. But yeah, it's just, I think it's funny, like, the, sometimes the people that it takes to. Right. Like, some, like <clears throat> we say it all the time, something bad or terrible or yeah. someone has to die it has to happen has to before happen. change comes from it i really like uh morbid Which, whatever yeah morbid or my favorite murder i'm so sorry they were my two favorites before i started a podcast but <laughs> one of them did an episode where they were saying that um one of the planes that ended up getting uh, I think like an explosive explosive was on it before we checked for explosives and whatnot. And um, when it got shot down, it was two executives of like this big well-known company were on that. It was like the CEO and maybe like the vice pre- president and vice president or something like that. And all of them were on the plane and a lot of executives and a lot of them died. And after that plane crash, they were like, oh, well, you can't have this amount of executives riding on the same plane because this may happen and then like the company kind of went into shambles for a little bit but it's very much like we were just you know we thought flying was cool we didn't know what could happen and we just kind of were like yeah let's go off and let's smoke in these planes why hi baby light them fires in that airtight controlled cabin baby i mean i'm sure vaping would be okay nowadays even they they tell you Even not to do it. Like but on private jets, if you kind of like didn't have rules or flight attendants, or I mean, you people still have blunts all the time. Serve people who serve you. Anyways, what I'm saying is, I'm sure vaping is like really okay. Yeah, because smoking blunts maybe on not, private jets is still maybe, okay technically <laughs> if you have yeah. a cool enough <laughs> pilot. If you're freaking, if you have enough money, anyway. anything is okay, really. <laughs> So what you're saying is I just need to get enough money. So what you're saying is we just, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. They aren't good for the planet, but they're fun to do maybe once. (laughs) Although the disappearance of Hale Boggs, along with his, um, not crew members, but other passengers plus his pilot... And, you know, although it gained recognition and widespread interest or acknowledgement, I guess you could say, to the Alaskan Triangle, it wasn't the first aircraft to vanish in the Triangle of Alaska, nor was it the last. Damn. In 1950, which is 20... 70-ish years ago. 22 years before the Hale Boggs plane went oh, down. Yes, that is um, 
Sorry. Harder math. I can't help you there. <laughs> I was like, I got you from 50 to 20, girl. I can do that. <laughs> I can do that for you. In 1950, a military aircraft holding 44 passengers, along, you know, so 44 passengers, that's what headlines said. So then I imagine the number was even more with pilot and air crew. Because I also read that it was an Air Force aircraft which means there were multiple more crew members on board aside from the 44 passengers i just didn't get specifics on the total number of people on board Mm -hmm. anyways this aircraft with the 44 plus passengers disappeared without a trace within the triangle in 1990 a cessna airplane vanished along with its pilot and four passengers there was oh, there was an instant where an aircraft vanished and wreckage did end up being found. So just a little, like, positive note. Mm-hmm. Not every single case of tragedy and vanishment stays at least vanished. In 1947, a plane from the British South American Airways disappeared en route from Buenos Aires and it was lost and unheard of for 50 years. Shit. Until 1998 when two Argentinian hikers were ascending Mount Tapangato came across the plane's wreckage. That's crazy. It basically... Mm. Sorry, that's crazy how it's an Alaskan Bermuda Triangle but a place from Buenos Aires, because that's, I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's like a place in Argentina. Oh, me too. It's the capital yeah. of Argentina. That's literally, and then Argentinian hikers went upon right. the wreckage. I think that's just like such a weird coincidence because this it is, is a, a weird coincidence. This is Alaska. Why? <laughs> Why is that? Like, it's such a big world, but it's so small. Right. That is, I... And, you know, when I was typing it, I remember, like, double-checking to make sure I was typing it right because I saw Argentinian hikers, even though the flight came from Argentina. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Yeah, as soon as you I'm said not, that, like, I was just, like, that is such a weird coincidence that, like, it just so happens to be Argentinian hikers right. happening upon an Argentinian plane or whatever it was, right. like a... And just to note, um, I forgot where the plane was going. Somewhere else. Um, somewhere else. <laughs> Do <laughs> it another wasn't going place. to Alaska. <laughs> it was just flying over or through. So yeah. it basically seemed as if the plane crashed into a vertical glacier, which caused an avalanche to bury the plane's wreckage within minutes. Which Damn. makes sense. I mean, I can only imagine on a foggy day, yeah. a vertical glacier, it's a fucking Titanic in the sky. That, holy shit. <laughs> like, as a pilot, that is the last thing you expect. Is that a glacier? What the fuck? Oh, my God. I couldn't. Well, I mean. Like, imagine you're fucking I hear flying stories. and you're like, is that an I iceberg? I hear stories of... <laughs> Uh, military pilots they literally train how to 
pull their plane upright or pull it slash fly it upright because a lot of times you can come up to an unexpected mountain, glacier, whatever it is, and you the only option basically is to try and go upward. Yeah, like and, um, a mountain, I guess, is more... I don't... It's just the glacier throws me off so hard. I know. <laughs> I'm just like poor, poor people. They never saw it coming. Right. So unaware. <laughs> right you see i could imagine a mountain but as soon as i see a thing of ice i'm like and that would be my last thought (laughs) that would be it burr (laughs) (laughs) she looks cold so although we do come across answers for some of the strange and mysterious disappearances sometimes Vanishing without a trace is still a very common occurrence within the Alaskan Triangle, not only with aircrafts, but as I mentioned earlier, with people as well. (sighs) The rate of reported missing people in Alaska is about twice the national average. (sighs) Specifically in the Alaskan Triangle, 16,000 people have vanished since 1988. And, you know, when I said twice the national average, that could be just in the triangle as well. I couldn't remember if I read if it That's specified. Like probably a... worse. Why does no one look into that? It's basically, uh, God, I don't even know if I should try and remember how it, the stats worked out. It was like per 1,000 people, four people are missing. I don't like those odds. I... Okay, because you're more into math and stats, and so I couldn't remember. I mean, I know that's what I read, but I, mean, I, like I that, don't it, know. What it's that... a lot of people. Don't get me wrong, but because if also you're their populations a... aren't as high. But like, if yeah, and I'm putting like if you are living in a town, easily a thousand people, you know everyone. So for four of those people in that small last town that you know to go missing, yeah, true. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, even if the population is, like, 50,000, four is a lot. It Like, when you look at towns that are, like, less than 5,000, and it's like everyone knows everyone. So you think of one one-fifth of that, like, ugh. How how is the um, army not involved in this? That's what makes me think that, like, the fucking government knows that something is up. And they just well, there's an air force base in uh, either it's Anchorage or Fairbanks. Honestly, sketchier. My dad was born there. Sketchier because his dad was in the air force, and that's where they were stationed. Nope, because they know shit's going on probably, and that's why they, they put have an air... to. They, that's it's why like... they put an air force base there, or that's why they put especially air force. If you think air force in that particular one, why? Because so many flights go missing in that Dude. area, and they need to fly to figure out what's going on send their little it's probably also how they had access to that i'm sure there's some like really logical reason but conspiracy theories are based upon okay oh you should you should i'm so i'm so in on this (laughs) military presence tied to the weird and mysterious and the paranormal extraterrestrial not interests but base locations yes yes 
and locations where there are hot Alaska spots just, and or I think Alaska triangles. in general is just such a hot spot. It's really like we need to investigate mm-hmm. that. Well, and um, there's a triangle. <laughs> it's a hot spot. Like I'm not okay. And I will I'm get into okay. a few theories later, but I'm not okay. Yeah, you got to do a part two because I'm not done talking about this. (laughs) Shauna Oman was in Fairbanks visiting a friend on June 3rd, 2019, but never made it home. I um, didn't get where home was, but she never made it. Yeah. Her roommate reported her missing six days after she hadn't returned home. Oh, shit. Her cell phone did ping to a tower on June 4th in Eagle River. So a day after um, she was supposed to be visiting her friend. But nothing else pretty much after that. So police dogs and a helicopter were used in her search, but she was never found. Frank Minano was reported missing from Nanana on August 17th, 2020. Nanana, Alaska, obviously, is at the heart of the Alaskan Triangle. He was 69, and his family told authorities that they told that they believed he had just gotten lost in the woods. And so this is the one I mentioned earlier where this is obviously a plant, a town or a place a combined place in town i was like clown (laughs) (laughs) grill this is this is obviously at least a place with homes or something where people live but it's in the middle of the triangle so there's shit throughout although the there is a shit ton of it is unexplored. I wonder I if... I think the more dense and vast areas. Yeah. I wonder if, like, when people buy the houses, the realtors are like, oh, by the way, you <laughs> initial right here, this is on the Alaska-Bermuda Triangle. I wonder. <laughs> that has to be in the renter's clause. When I talked about the um, San Luis Valley, when they sold homes in certain areas, realtors were required to yeah. tell them. I'm like, oh, by the way, gotta, this is a UFO. You gotta fucking. By the way, the area that you're about to move into, no big deal. But some people do go missing. Okay, no <laughs> deep breaths, honey. Do you need a free bottle of wine? But some people do go missing. Okay. <laughs> well, this one kind of gets me because he was okay. So. Frank was 69, and as I mentioned, his parents told authorities that they believe he just got lost in the woods. But he was apparently a traditional educator and mentor of the Alaskan culture, respecting the land, hunting, and subsistence living. Hmm. So it sounded like he was pretty experienced and knowledgeable on what it meant to forage and live off the alaskan land basically to be a mountain man (laughs) or a fucking snowman (laughs) a yeti man (laughs) he may have been a little aged 69 um people very well uh, suffer from aging side effects at that age everyone's different he sees yeah so that could have 
you know, maybe he did just become not as experienced because of his age and got lost. But maybe he fucking didn't, okay? Yeah. 69 is not that old, okay? You make it to that year and then you message us. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just speak from both sides because my mom is that age and she has, like, bad memory loss. And but there are plenty of fucking seventy five year olds who my grandma told me that she was in her mid seventies and I was shocked. I said I thought you were still sixty two. I mean I get that my grandma's getting old, but it's really hard for me to accept that. People just age differently. And it's totally normal to age differently. So we don't know what his situation was like. We could say that it could have been a factor either way. So um but it has been over a year, and there has been no sign of him. And that is the photo of the guy that I, the guy, that I already oh, said that, but yeah. not of the guy, but of Frank Minato. Mm. Hundreds of search and rescue missions are conducted each year that rarely result in finding bodies dead or alive. In 2007, there were 42 missions performed that were related to overdue hikers, 85 done related to overdue boaters, and 100 related to overdue snow machine operators. And that doesn't include how many were conducted on just missing persons. I'm actually not okay with that at all. This is for a, this is a state that is not that populated. And for you to have said those numbers, I loved Alaska. I used to say I wanted to move to Alaska. I joked about when I'm old. No, literally, if you fence off your cabin, maybe, and never leave your property, Okay, decides to go you... to the store so two times you... a year. So why do you say that? Well, you can't even go to the store some places. They get groceries flown in. Well, there are some places where it's not even, like, uh, fucking daytime year-round. You get, like, six months mm-hmm. of dark. But I'm okay with that. <laughs> I have to depre- I have depression, bro. What is taking the sun going to do for me? Not I imagine not a lot. I think I would actually thrive in the darkness. I get most of my productivity done at night. So You get like cool glowing eyes. <laughs> yeah. Super pale skin. Maybe I'll grow you some grow fangs. fangs. Yeah. I, that's <laughs> like actually the one side effect I would want to happen. You know, like, as long as I have a weed dealer and a wine dealer in the town, I don't need much of anything else. I'm, I will make it through, like, years of winter. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even need six months. I will make it, like, the seasons. I will make it three years, not even six months, bitch. I will last years, years. Don't even need to check on me. I'll check on you. I, I don't know if I'd visit. You'll send I'll me be on a my last cruise. Some snail mail, Hi, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pop a bottle of champagne on your boat. You go, Sarah. <laughs> um, I 
would want to visit though to be honest let's be honest i would make friends with the you know demons over my fence in time for (laughs) when you visited like you can also make friends with them yeah and then if blake so i don't want to say if blake because blake will get his pilot's license but if he ever gets to the point where we can just fly planes wherever just us two Mm -hmm. I could make him fly into Alaska, but, like, maybe not over the triangle. Not over. I, I will make sure that whatever property in Alaska I buy, it is outside of that triangle because this downright scared me from Maybe done a few miles away way. just for fun. Yeah. It's just so we could, like, drive to the edge and be like, ooh. If like, we one s- foot in, one foot out. If we step in, we might get abducted. Who knows? <laughs> might get anal tonight. Ooh. <laughs> so we assume that natural occurrences such as getting lost and succumbing to the terrain and the weather are huge factors in these cases but aside from that the numbers of missing people in the alaskan triangle and alaska as a whole are just jaw-dropping many people also don't uh, reason on the sensible or scientific side they believe the local lore and the theories that come along as well mm-hmm. the native alaskan tlingit tlingit indians indigenous obviously who live near uh, Juneau have even integrated integrated the mystery of the alaskan triangle into their religious culture not necessarily mentions of the triangle itself but reasoning as to why maybe the disappearances happen. Hmm. They believe an evil spirit named Kushtaka, who is a man-otter hybrid. It roughly translates to land-otter man. Captures people who have drowned or gotten lost and whisks them away to his spiritual realm to never be seen again. It is basically the Bigfoot lore or legend of the Alaskan Triangle, and it's said that the Kushtaka will shapeshift into the form of a relative or vulnerable child, basically someone to, like, get your attention, to lure, lure victims to a river, to then tear them to shreds, or turn them into another Kushtaka. Kushtaka. But why an otter? They just... I have no idea. So we can blame the Kushtaka or deceptive glaciers. Hmm. Many glaciers appear to be solid ice, but are actually formed and made of honeycombed ice-like caves and chambers. So below the surface, it's not just a full-on solid glacier it's honeycombed of all of these fucking chambers oh my god it's like minecraft (laughs) (sighs) these chambers can be larger than houses the size of an office they can be big but huge even they can be small but what if it's like a frozen otter creature oh my god Okay, I thought I was just worrying about Because then they can, like, crawl around. Yeah. So now you're telling me you have to worry about an otter, too? Right. So, 
along with the falling snow, the other treacherous, you know, weather-related um Incidents. Uh, like not in a situation, scenarios, whatever. Yeah. Like, why can I think of the word? Anyways, along with the falling snow and along with the terrain, it's just a recipe for disaster. Uh, in one of the articles, I read something about how, you know, we, we talk about vanishing into thin air when it really just within these cases it can mean buried by nature another theory which mm. i think is interessante <laughs> <laughs> are energy vortexes so apparently it's said that there are energy vortexes throughout the triangle or in certain spots these vortexes that are they are basically concentrated areas, like I said, specific areas where there is intense energy created by electromagnetic currents. These vortexes are said to be common around the world in other famous strange places like the Bermuda Triangle, Stonehenge, and the Egyptian Pyramids. So vortexes, or these specific energy vortexes, are said to either spin clockwise or counterclockwise, which creates either positive or negative effects on people. It affects people physically, mentally, and emotionally, positively or negatively. Hmm. Positive vortexes spin upwards and in a clockwise position. And they are conducive to healing energies. These type of positive vortexes are actively sought out by people who want to feel inspired or changed. You know, they're said that, like, these vortexes help you meditate, just positive energy. On the other hand, negative vortexes spin downwards and counterclockwise which creates a depleting energy and drains anything around it of their positive energy. So negative vortexes cause depression, disorientation, confusion, nightmares, visual and audio hallucinations. And so these negative vortexes are the ones we need to worry about, especially with people disappearing and shit. Okay, so... Are the negative and positive vortexes mapped on a mark? Because I think that there is a negative vortex currently in my room, <laughs> sucking up all my energy. Over Holotus, Texas. <laughs> over, over I'm like, Holotus. she doesn't live there, never mind. But yeah, there's... um. There's one in my bedroom in Texas that is currently consuming my life, and I'm just wondering if, like, you know, they're marked. Or, you know... Uh, I haven't seen s- a marked map of them. <laughs> that would be one? very interesting. <laughs> right? And maybe they... So, they're in specific areas where there's that certain amount of electromagnetic te- uh, technology, energy. 
But I do wonder if they, you know, swirl and move around. But stay I just in a wonder location. if it's something so that's that why like, people are like sodding them out. I'm like, <laughs> we always talk around. about how energy has like these electric waves, and I just wonder if like that's something that we can ever try. Yeah, well, day. and that's another thing that kind of reminds me of my San Luis Valley case is the hot pockets of UFO sightings or UFA sightings uh happened around the geothermal areas where there's a lot of geothermal pools of water and so this kind of thing just kind of reminds me of that and it really kind of would make sense that weird shit happens where there are high energy levels apparently there is a show on discovery plus called the alaska triangle that attempts to unlock the mysteries of the alaskan interior but I didn't watch it. <laughs> I said LOL because I typed it. Because um, I don't have Discovery Plus. But there are multiple books written on the Alaskan Triangle or AKA whatever they want to call it. I didn't write them down just because there were kind of a lot. Like a handful of books that I noticed. And even different little docu-shows, docu-series aside from the one on Discovery Plus. Mm-hmm. Um like the History Channel, I think, did one, but it was like the Australian or like not the U.S. Anyways, if there's just way more information is what I'm getting at out <laughs> there. If y'all want to check it out. So, no, I yeah, get it. Then I get anyways, it. Yeah. Um, to end it off, you know, I only touched a few cases or stories about people who disappeared in the triangle, but there are thousands more i went um you're gonna make it a series yeah but if you ever come across someone who is deceased or disoriented or lost or missing or if you are ever searching for a missing persons contact alaska's missing persons clearinghouse which falls under the alaska's bureau of investigation They track all missing persons cases that are reported within Alaska. So keyword reported. They do have to be reported. But, um, you know, like I said, if you come across anything like uh, remains or any human alive or deceased. Even if you think you're crazy. Yeah. um, (laughs) If it's like a, a backpack buried in the snow call the authorities because it could belong to a missing persons um i only covered a few because of our time thing but there are literally thousands upon thousands missing in alaska and so uh the the alaska's missing persons clearinghouse actually has a list on their home page of their website of people their home location, the last contact of them, oh, all the shit. reported missing persons. Yeah. So it was kind of cool just to see that on their home page, in your face, page after page after page. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, to end it off, bitches, please be <laughs> careful out there. Bitches. Uh, just please be careful out there. You never know what you're going to run into, especially if you're going out into crazy cold terrain that you know you there's so many unexpected like yeah there's just so much that could go wrong 
So just be careful. And that was the Alaskan Triangle. Well, that is a mystery that you need to do again because I'm not I'm not done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely leaves you like there are just there's still so much information, missing persons mm-hmm. and questions around it where it could be continued. So, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I say you're doing another one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down. So mm-hmm. y'all stay tuned. Uh, Kristen, though, I'm excited yeah. to hear about Until yours. Until next time, though. Um, so, mm, yeah. So, I um, really, really wish I remember where I got this story from because <laughs> I know that I read it from somewhere not that long ago and it blew my mind. And then I was kind of like confused and stuck on what I was gonna, going to do for this story. And then I remembered this, and I was like, how the fuck could I not forget? So, how the fuck could I forget? (laughs) (laughs) And you. Yay. Why do you call it a Mm. drunk mystery in history? Exactly. (laughs) So, for this mystery, we are going to be talking about the mystery on why the fuck no one ever told me this story when I was drinking Jameson whiskey. (gasps) Uh oh, mm. I've drank loads of that. Mm. We used to drink that when we first became friends. Remember the first time we hung out, you showed up with a bottle of JMO. Yeah, and except for like, those who don't know, we we used to be whiskey gals. Um, don't know who hurt us in the past, but we fucking like used. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> well, I mean, I yeah, it still kind of stings a bit, but I you know we just we don't cover it up with whiskey anymore because what the fuck. I can't believe I used to drink that. I I was the pick me girl. I would go to bars and be like, yeah, I'll take a double of whiskey on the rocks. Ooh, mm. I was a Jameson and ginger ale girl just because when I was living in Los Angeles, like a friend got me into it kind of. Yeah. So I was like, ew, you're so cool. I'm going to f- drink that. And it was not bad. It tasted good. Yeah. So. I mean, like, I definitely for two years, I was living off the Jameson, which is why I'm just like knowing me and knowing now what I know about Jameson. I'm just like, how the fuck Uh-oh. could I not know? I'm, I'm actually. I don't drink it anymore. I'm even glad though I have I don't no drink idea what either. you're about to say. Yeah. So if you're drinking Jameson, enjoy it because this is going to be the last time that you are going to want to drink it after this story. Happy New Year's. <laughs> I, why do I have goosebumps? I'm like, it's the liquor. Yeah. I'm like, um. so trigger warning. It involves a child, and that is all I'm going to say about that. So, a little bit about Jameson whiskey, if you did Please. not know. Uh, sorry, yeah, it's Drunk History Mystery, where we're going to get hysterical. So, <laughs> <laughs> hysterical? or <laughs> Hysterical or historical? I don't know what you're getting with this podcast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, our homeboy, our man, John Jameson was born Jingleheimer Schmidt. (laughs) His name is my name too. But yes, so the origin of that began in 1740 in Aloha, Scotland. So he was actually Mr. John working as a lawyer. Hi, Daddy. When he met his wife, Margaret Haig. Now, when the pair fell in love, I'm sure that Margaret was like, oh, hot lawyer, I have fucking made it. 
What she did not know, though. Give me a baby, daddy. Right. But what she did not know, though, was that um, her father, who was John Haig, for us non-Scotlands, he just so happened to be one of... Scotlands? (laughs) Sorry. I don't even think we get anyone from Scotland, but... (laughs) Non-Scot. If you're a Scot and you listen, you may know the name of... That's not even a Scottish accent. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just embarrassing myself. I think that was hardly Australian. (laughs) It was hardly British, hon. So, for this guy, John Haig, he just so happened to be the largest... Okay, maybe not the largest, but he was the most famous whiskey distillers in Scotland at the time. So, by 1774... John Jameson would quit his jobs of being a hotshot lawyer and decide to settle down and begin his career in whiskey distillation. So he would actually begin working for the Conneval Lodge number 202, which belonged to the uh, Dublin Freemasons. It sounds fancy, so I'm sure it means something to someone who knew what that was. But well, the Freemasons, yeah, it's like, I'm like a, Freemasons sounds familiar. It's just, it's an organization of like you could say it might be a cult. Yeah. You can only join if you're, and I'm pretty sure it's all male. You can only oh. join if your your dad like oh. was a Freemason or so your cult. grandfather was a Freemason. So it runs hmm. through families. Well, they also did have Ubu's, bu- Ubu's Bucko Roonies. Ubu's Buckos. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, their by- members. Yeah. Believe. I mean, Jameson is still prevalent to this day. If you don't think that they had a lot of money back then, then... Then they have a lot of money right now. Exactly. <laughs> so by seventeen eighty, John Jameson would begin his Irish whiskey distillation career by founding the coined Jameson Irish Whiskey Distillery in Dublin in eighteen ten. And nice. yeah, John Jameson would, you know, spend the next 41 years of his life perfecting and doing the same old shit over and over again, distilling whiskey. Taste testing his whiskey. Yes, he would. <laughs> and in 1851, he would go and pass on his hard work off to his son, John Jameson II. And, you know, John Jameson II would work on his distillery. He would find a wife of his own. He would gain children of his own and he would keep the family business alive it was even by the turn of the 19th century that jameson irish whiskey had made its way to become the second largest producer in ireland and one of the largest producers in the world producing more than one million gallons of that sweet sweet anger-inducing, penis-deflating liquid gold that we love to consume. Stomach-warming, throat-gagging gold. Mm-mm. Whiskey dick in my mouth. Make my cheeks red, make me black out gold. <laughs> Smells like I want to punch you in the fucking face. <laughs> I will 
freaking go off on you, Gold. <laughs> I will yell at you for twenty minutes. Try me, <laughs> and you won't understand a thing I say. Mm-hmm. Boom, mm-hmm. <laughs> honey bunches of oats. You will not. So I now bring you to the historical part of our Ooh. drunk mystery and history. So please do not try to fall asleep. I will do my best. Now, while, you know, James Jameson is getting his Jameson on and James Jameson II and he's making babies and whatnot, there is a little bit of tension that is going on down under. And I'm sorry I misled you. It is not Australia down under. It's down under south, more particularly Africa. Ah, because still down under. Yeah, it is technically south. It's exactly south. I looked on a map just to make sure that I would not sound stupid <laughs> when I said that. Because if, do my jokes make sense? Do my Question jokes mark. make sense? <laughs> I made sure before I started this podcast. Do not double check me, Karen. So for Africa in particular, they were in the midst of what was described as the Mud East War. I'm not a historian. Don't come for me. I read this off of one article and I'm telling it to you drunkenly. So take that as you will. But there is a war raging on. Basically, right now, between the Medeast Sundanese, which is a religious, it's a religious leader under the name Muhammad Ahmad bin Abd Allah, who was pronouncing during the time that he was the uh, the Mahid or the guided one of Islam, and. He was basically fighting with the force of Canevadite of Egypt. I'm saying a lot of words wrong. But it's basically the British forces were fighting against this guided one of Mahid. And this was causing a lot of tension in Africa. And during this time, it makes it seem like a lot of Africa is not claimed as African soil. Again, I'm not a historian, but like from what I say, there's a lot of land to be colonized. So it's it kind of seems like it's very much free to roam. So there's this, over it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's this huge war going on. They're kind of like fighting over for land. By 1885, the Madis would actually capture the city of Khartoum, and this would actually cause the collapse of Sudan, as well as the Madis cutting off the extreme southern part of, province of a town called Equatoria. Now, the issue with this was that there was a man by the name of Amin Pasha, who had actually been appointed governor of Equatoria, and he seemed to be on the side of the British, who the British did not just win Equatoria. Oh, sorry. Sorry, my tape is falling. They did not just win Equatoria land, so he's kind of, like, stuck in the middle of, like, I'm on this side, but the other side just won, and now they're controlling my land. So... Amin is thankfully able to still send letters out to British forces and whatnot while this is going on, and he would even inform them by that by February of 1886, the Egyptian government would actually have plans to just upright abandon Equatoria, 
And by July 1886, he would actually try to get the British government to annex Equatoria, though by this time the British government was kind of like, no, we don't want to do that. But the people of Britain, or at least the people who were on that side, were more than willing to help. So by this time, you have a guy by the name of William Mackinon, who was a Scottish businessman and philanthropist who had been invested in a lot of colonial ventures. So when William decides that he wants to help Emin out, he decides that he is going to plan a venture. So he begins a little bit beforehand. So in November 1885, he decides that he would begin a venture to help this governor out who is stuck in the land of Equatoria. So he would approach a man named Henry Morton Stanley, who I did send a photo of you, or I did... Henry... You sent him a photo of me? Yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Named Henry Morton Stanley. So he was a Welsh journalist, explorer, soldier, colonial administrator, author, as well as a politician. Like, the man went under many hats. And he basically began this idea that he would start this huge relief expedition. So during the time, like I said, Africa is not really what we think of as as Africa today. So during the time, it was actually very common for wealthy families to fund any type of expedition and go into Africa in order to look for gold, for precious stones, or even new land for them to colonize. So hashtag, have you ever seen, okay, this Tarzan (laughs) in Africa or are they somewhere else? That's what I would imagine is that they're like. Because like they were on this fancy expedition that obviously these rich families not only funded but were a part of. Yeah. And fucking Henry Morton Stanley kind of looks like. The dad. The dad. (laughs) They all look like that. They all look like that. It is. But it's just like. White hair mustache. But it's very like if. Tarzan's family was traveling across the sea and just so happened to land in Africa. Like, yeah, they probably had really naughty fucking intentions. Like, just saying. They did. Just saying. So, this expedition in particular was advertised as more of a relief trip that was meant to bring supplies to Amin and Equatoria. So, When they advertised this to the wealthy families, they said, oh, we're going to be doing good for the... It's like a mission trip. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's your back-in-the-day mission trip. So together... on one of those. Yeah. They organized the Amin Pasha Relief Committee, and in total, they raised around 32,000 pounds. I'm sorry I did not convert that, but, I mean, that's kind of a lot of money even back then, so... Yeah. It's a lot. It'd probably be triple at least yeah so henry stanley the guy that was meant to lead the expedition was actually employed to someone during the time that he had agreed to this so he was employed to a man named leopold ii of belgium and the only reason that henry got permission to go on this expedition was that he promised leopold ii that 
Stanley would actually take the longer route that would lead them up the Congo River. I don't know if that's why the events transpired the way that they do, but either way, it's an interesting fact. So it was there that the public statement was made by Henry. So it is really important to know this. What Henry is saying while he is talking to London, saying why he is going on this expedition. So Henry Stanley declares... The expedition is non-military. That is to say, its purpose is to not fight, destroy, or waste. Its Its purpose is to save, to relieve distress, to carry comfort. Amin Pasha may be a good man, a brave officer, a gallant fellow deserving of a strong effort of relief, but I decline to believe And have not been able to gather from anyone in England an impression that his life or the lives of few hundreds under him would overbalance the lives of thousands of natives and the devastation of immense tracts of country which an expedition strictly military would naturally cause. The expedition is mere powerful caravan armed with rifles for the purpose of ensuring the safe conduct of ammunition to Amin Pasha, and for the more certain protection of his people during the retreat home. But it also has means of purchasing the friendships of tribes and chiefs, of buying food and paying its way, liberally. This is what Henry Morton Stanley quoted and Stanley's adventures in the wilds of Africa that was lent to the public of London after his exhibition. I'm saying this because it is very important for you to keep this in mind. The words that I just said. Maybe Mm -hmm. replay back 30 seconds, hear it again if I read it right. Yeah? Well, yeah, a few (laughs) key words stuck out with me. So we'll see. So this relief... connect. Oh, yeah. Girl, you, you... So this relief committee received over 400 applicants of eager, eager applicants ready for an expedition. Let's go, bitch. And one of them happens to be the son of John Jameson II, whose name was James John Jameson. John Jameson III. <laughs> so James they switched Jameson? It up. It's James now. So James Jameson, the grandson of John Jameson the first, right? Okay. Who founded Jameson Irish whiskey? Jameson whiskey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just wait, just wait. Oh my god, he has a killer stash. Okay, and like James, so his hairline. Jam- don't know his, his part. Don't know. So like James Jameson's <laughs> wife comes in later, and she like defends him. But she, like, wasn't there. And I'm like, with a mustache like that, I would have defended him too, hunty. <laughs> <laughs> Handlebars like that, you got to ride it to death. <laughs> totally joking. You you don't. You, Almost spat out my wine. <laughs> you you don't do what I, you learn from us. Okay, we never said we were But do you models. his, do you see his fucking hairline? It almost no. looks like he has a scar there, so I shouldn't judge. But, like, how it goes back, literally. 
Oh, well, that's why he has the hus- the mustache to distract you from the hairline. <laughs> <laughs> he might have something going on, so I shouldn't judge, but it might, it might it's be pretty gen- wild. Might you be can, genetics. Like, ways to work might just be a it. really <laughs> bad comb over. <laughs> he's like embracing it. <laughs> he's like, I'm not ready to shave off my four strands of hair, okay, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> okay, James Jameson. So, okay, sorry. No, 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 no. We need it. We need I just it. really had to like eye in on his uh, portrait there. No, so that's because the mustache. <laughs> it made me like look at the mustache, and then I looked at everything else. So that's our homeboy, James Jameson. So the expedition for this relief campaign would begin in 1888, and by June of 1888, James Jameson would actually be in command of the rear column of the expedition, which had found its way into Ribaruba, which was also known as Ribakiba. I'm probably saying those wrong, but it is what is now known as the Lakundu and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. So it's Hmm. that general area is what I'm talking about. Cool. So this area was originally known as a really famous stop along the uh, Lualaba River, which was known as a really famous ivory and slave trade route, as well as being a region that was really well known for practicing cannibalism. <laughs> gotta love the indigenous practices. Oh, gotta love our native Nowadays roots. it's horrific, <laughs> but the indigenous practices, you know, gotta respect it to a certain extent. It's like the Green River, whatever, Green Island, oh, that horror movie where they just all get eaten when they're trying to learn about the native tribes and then they go to the native tribe and the native tribe's trying to eat them and they're like, we're just trying to learn about your culture. Anyhow. Let me fucking. I'm gonna video be a part of your culture you. <laughs> and podcast you in our experience. <clears throat> so, in his group was a man by the name of Tipu Tip, which was also known as Tipu, which I will be calling Tipu him as. Tip. And uh, he looks like a fucking badass. He was something because he was a local slave trader and local fixer so one thing about the slave trade that a lot of people tend to forget is that it was not just the white man but the fellow black man that would also participate in enslaving trading and selling their people well yeah like not only were uh, people of color involved in being like coordinating the slave trades but you have to remember families of color would sell their children as well so and become very ways. very and i'm not very saying it's their fault it. like they felt like they needed to at the no time, some of them were fucking evil and i know yeah, so, no, no it don't don't cut it for them. what it was it, it, i know i'm just like i'm like i play all sides okay? yeah no I'm well fluid. fucking fucking a human being is a human being no matter what color and unfortunately there are some people that just see a dollar sign and that is Tipu what is, tip was trying to save his own ass okay he was either I don't I don't know what he was trying to do. We'll get into that. But Tipu Tip, he and could also have sorry. One more thing about his, his picture. 
<laughs> like whatever he's wearing i would say t-shirt but they didn't really wear those back then like his bib or whatever he's wearing under his coat he looks majestic it looks like a bottle of whiskey <laughs> like it looks like a bottle would of not make would not like be far off but i right? mean like i looked at him and i was like he looks majestic as fuck like, he does and i would follow him he just looks like he does fucking business and that's not like a pun towards the slave trade but it, that is just like it just sucks because you know he looks lavish and you know how he got his money you know how we got right those he's holding that he's is that wearing. like a cigar he's holding in his right hand it's like, like holding it, it like a fucking cane but had, it's not yeah i haven't seen the i don't know and he he's just like yeah, I'll give you five mi- or thirty-five minutes to take this portrait because it took forever back then, and then I'm out. My people need me. Yeah, it's literally like like I he- got an next shoot to go to. Yeah, <laughs> I got more people to sell. Y'all don't know my schedule, but yeah, it just I don't know. <laughs> it sucks. It was well in this area. And while he was with his newfound friend, Tipu, that he would describe to Tipu his longing, James Jameson's longing interest in seeing the practice of cannibalism firsthand. Seeing it? And that's when a sinister, sinister plan started to unfold. (gasps) And this is why you should no longer drink Jameson whiskey unless you're doing a pickleback. Okay, I know you said it involves cannibalism, (laughs) but I was not, like, really expecting this. Okay. I scream. I'm I'm screaming because. Ah. So our homeboy, Tippo, would speak with the local chiefs of the village and basically was told that... If Tippo was serious, he better buy a slave. So Jameson did just that. He would pay six handkerchiefs as the chief brought him Jameson's new slave. A ten-year-old girl. The following events that I am about to describe are a retelling from Jameson's diary, as well as his wife and a translator's account of the events. The wife was not there. The wife is retelling it from a letter, which I will get into later. But the translator who was there, whose (gasps) name was Asad Fadran, would say in an affidavit which actually appeared in the New York Times on November 14th of 1890 would state that once the girl was presented to the villagers the chief would say that this is a present from the white man who wishes to see her eaten. She would then be tied to a tree while the natives began to sharpen their knives. Raw. When they were done sharpening their knives, it was described that one man would approach her before stabbing her twice in the belly. 
it was then in Jameson's diary that it would be described that havoc would begin with three men running forward and beginning to slice the girl up with the climax arriving when her head was finally detached from her body. And I'm sorry, this is where the trigger warning comes in. I'm so sorry. I'm really fucking bad at that. It was written that no piece of this girl remained as each man went to the river to wash his piece of her. And then they went back to cook and consume the pieces of this 10-year-old girl that James Jameson, the grandson of Jameson Irish Whiskey Distillery, paid to have seen eaten. Yes. Even more chilling, something that really fucked me up and I thought about for a second, so now y'all are going to have to too, was the fact that during this massacre, it was described that the girl never uttered a sound. It was described by the translator that she would look from left to right, seemingly looking for help, though none came. But from Jameson's account, it seemed like she seemingly knew what was going to happen and took it, not making a sound until she was stabbed. Yeah, because she probably grew up watching people. And that's something that. And sacrificed. Yeah. yeah, and it's something that really points it out, and it's so fucked up, is it is known that this region does practice cannibalism. Right. I, it's unknown how openly, but it's enough that there's rumor that it's practiced. So, and I notice how you say the men approached her to cut off slices. The men went to go wash them off in the I river did not read and hear about a woman doing anything. And so maybe their wives and children got to eat what they cut off. But it seems like as maybe because the the sacrificial child was female, maybe they turned to females more often. I mean, that's an assumption, obviously, because you didn't state is, any facts regarding that. It is, but it's not that far but... off because I could even see an old timey, I guess you could see, say, like... Um, cultures that the male is higher valued than a female right. i know i know in like they some keep a few around to reproduce but, but otherwise yeah, women are useless i mean like a 10 year old child you were giving away that says something it doesn't it, it, it says something about the culture behind the village that you're willing to offer a 10 year old mm-hmm. it also says a lot that a fucking white man is willing to like pay six handkerchiefs and that we're willing to even throw the value of six handkerchiefs onto a life but it is just like everyone in this is accountable even from the translator even from because he's like i saw all this carnage happen well bitch i don't see you at any point stepping in to stop it i mean like i guess fucking eaten too yeah (laughs) and like at the same time like i wouldn't step in because yeah you'd be next on the plate but it's just it's it's so gory and it's so gritty. It's, I really don't know how this isn't like more widely known. I really don't know where I got this from, but I was shocked when I read it. And I just learned this like not even a year ago. It was like three months ago. Holy Shook shit. It. Shook it. If, if this didn't piss you off, uh, it gets worse because oh yeah, not only did Jameson, you know, 
pay six handkerchiefs to get a 10-year-old girl killed, he took sketches while it happened. Okay. It was even said that once he went back to his tent after the events transpired that he turned those sketches into watercolor paintings. I really... I feel bad, but I really did try to see one of these paintings. Could not. I would want to, to be honest. The one if of the true, last, like, one of the last photo, or I, it is the last photo that I sent you, is the photo that is often like tied with the Jameson scandal, but it is not the painting that he obviously did. And I was right. I but I was just talking to someone about this of like I know it's so fucked and I shouldn't want this art, but I just kind of need it, kind of want it. Yeah, all these guys and men just chilling, passing around Yeah. Pieces of her ass cut off. Like That's what it looks fuck? like, but I don't I can't tell. The back end of her is But not it looks normal. like um that's just like something being started behind her i don't know i can't really tell oh uh, no you're right because it, there's a woman sitting on the ground yeah, like eating right something and she has this so wooden this, feather I, thing on i her don't back, and that's what i saw yeah i don't know why this photo is really tied with this case but when i google this case this photo tends to pop up though i know that this photo because i'm probably going to put it up here and on instagram and twitter or whatever it's not the photo that is tied with the sketches that james right it's just inspired by the story from someone else yeah Yeah. but in total it was said that six sketches or paintings were made by james jameson the first sketch would show the girl actually being led to the tree while the second painting would indicate the stabbing that had happened to her The third sketch was described to show the actual dissection, while the last three sketches were shown or were said to be of the men carrying the various parts of her body to the river. Ugh. Like, I get it. Exploration. But no. It's... But no. It's... Cannibalism is just... There's no way that you can be civilized after hearing something like that. And I think that... that And there are still parts of the world where um, cannibalism is a thing. Yeah. And I'm not looking down on their cultures. (laughs) But, you know, like nowadays in present day, you wouldn't go on an exploration to visit that culture to learn about it and take pictures. Yeah. It's simply unethical and not allowed because a lot of times those kind of villages or populations they don't want people to know where they are they don't want people visiting them and And it's even the fact that you as a human from this like you're not from the capsule that they are from you are susceptible this culture to so many diseases to so many ailments that they have yeah, not been exposed it, you're, to you're tainted yeah you're you're potentially talking about wiping out an entire culture that we have mm-hmm. no idea of how they sustain themselves how they live oh, anything yeah. about that so it it's just so much more than that like the act of cannibalism is so grotesque and it's so we think of it and we're like how can cultures do that but we have to think for a long time in society human it's, sacrifice it has been common and prevalent accepted. 
prevalent yeah. and it's still like I think we would be shocked to see how prevalent it still is in today's time. Mm-hmm. But of course, when you think of it in today's society or if you were to throw it into modern day United States, like people would freak out. And it's very much seen as a sign of like you're uncivilized, you're going back to these like uncivilized ways and whatnot and so when these rumors began to swirl that this rich rich heir to the jameson whiskey throne was practicing cannibalism i mean like the people went fucking nuts there was so like pay to see it if that's really how far you want to go and leave it at fucking that but even he don't leave receipts (laughs) well he like paid to see it but he fucking left receipts and i guess that was his downfall so when the rumors started to swirl that this heinous act began to take place i mean like obviously damage control was you know tried to try to be done so (laughs) both jameson's wife and Jameson's own diary entries later on would shift blame to the villagers for the reason of the cannibalism, basically stating that Jameson did not know that the villagers were being for real when they said that they would eat this 10-year-old girl. So, in... Uh, Were you being for real when you said you wanted to see it and that you would pay for it? Yeah, when you gave those six handkerchiefs off to actually, like, buy the girl, I'm confused as to, like, what you thought was going to happen. Like, he didn't think that he could, that six handkerchiefs would do, and he was just doing it as a joke, which is even worse. Jesus. Anyways, ugh. So there was actually a letter that was written on August 3rd of 1888 by James Jameson to a man named uh, Sir William McMackinson. He had described his events, which just so happened to be published one day after the translator's affidavit had been published. So the very next day, November 15th of 1888, a letter from James Jameson would be posted saying that though the translator's words were cruel, it was pretty much true. (gasps) But it wasn't what it looked like. It wasn't what it looked like. Okay. But it wasn't that bad. It was was okay. Because according to Jameson, his good buddy Tippo actually brought him to the tribe and said that, you know, this tribe is going to perform a dance for you. And it is mentioned that after this dance was performed, that there would be a cannibalistic ritual involved. Now, Jameson would say, I did not believe that this was real, okay? Uh Even when Tippo said, you need to give me six handkerchiefs in order to prove that this is, in fact, real. Okay. And so James was like, mm, okay, here's six handkerchiefs. I don't believe you, though. According to him. According to him. Right. I don't, I don't believe him. <laughs> Spoiler. He's lying. So he would give the handkerchiefs away, and he would say, oh, it's a joke. Like, I wanted to give the six handkerchiefs because I was under the belief that, you know, they would give me a gift if I gave him these handkerchiefs. But then they witnessed... He witnessed them eating a 10-year-old girl. 
But that's what they told him. I mean, they yeah. told him they were going to eat something. So I guess, like, maybe when they started stabbing her, he was like, oh, so this isn't the joke. But then he didn't stop him, and he just kind of, like, let it continue. He kept watching. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that was just kind of, like, what he said happened in his letter, and that's what his wife stuck by, and... That's kind of what the media stuck by. And because of that, you know, Jameson was never, or anyone for that matter, was ever held accountable for the actions of the 10-year-old girl that was supposedly eaten. Though it may have been the karmic fate of him dying before he was able to reach any type of English soil. So I did find out that during this expedition... Before the news had even reached Stanley, I guess, where all of these English people were presiding, Jameson would actually die of a fever that he contracted while on the expedition. Huh. So, did he get a chance to reproduce? Did the Jameson family line keep going? I did not look into it, but I do not... I did not see a heir to them but i wouldn't be surprised if they maybe had like a daughter or something and then they just didn't say anything right or if he had younger brothers and they weren't mentioned yeah uh because i know it did say that they had children so it wasn't just one but as or even if you know james the second or jim the second even had several children you know yeah so It just depends, but either way, whether it be, you know, him dying before he was able to really make it to any type of trial, or it was his uber-wealthy family that just wanted to bury the facts and kind of forget that any of this happened, uh, no one really knows the truth as to what truly happened to this young 10-year-old girl who is, was never named in any of these articles, unfortunately, and who will never have the moment to be rightfully remembered as this fucking asshole sacrifice for something that she wasn't even worth. Like, she was worth way more than six yeah. fucking handkerchiefs well but. what sucks is that in their culture that is what they're worth you know like to us it sucks yeah. and we see them as way more but in their culture it's not like that and it was i mean you even see it and when she was about to be sacrificed she she didn't fight it she didn't because she knew ask for help she knew. Was, and that's what that speaks much, volumes yeah, that it, yeah it's very much something that it seems she accepted and that's what I think fucks me up even more is that she was raised to think that she is worth that which really exactly I can't I can't get over so um I'm not saying right it's right (laughs) or acceptable or ethical but it's it's cultural and it's they are products of their cultural culture and i say you know we're products of our time all the time like not to use that as an excuse for bad behavior but really when it comes down to certain things we are culture or products of our culture of our time fucking hurt people Um, hurt people man it's it's a fucking fucked up way and you just gotta work hard on breaking the cycle and being better for yourself and the others around you fuck and that's on (laughs) non-toxicmoms.com well 
Yeah, that's my story. <laughs> and that was the harsh but true story behind Jameson Whiskey, or and one of their heirs at least. Hug, that's I mean, why. Um, how involved was James Jameson in the whiskey process? I don't think very. He was just like a spoiled yeah. grandson, it seems like. So, like, yeah. you can still drink Jameson, you know, like semi guilt free. But just know that, like, the beginning of the money definitely funded the cannibalism of a 10-year-old girl. So um, next time you really want to interest someone at the bar, you tell them this fact right here. (laughs) I was literally going to say that, like, (laughs) next time I see anyone drinking Jameson, not that I go out anywhere that serves it. Yeah, not like I Uh, I'm going to be like, did you know? Like, a totally unauthorized, unasked for... Fun fact, not so fun fact, in your words. Yeah. Cheers to um, um not selling 10-year-olds, or anyone for that matter, because fuck slavery. Not killing and eating them. Jeez. Because fuck slavery, so. Yeah, cheers to um, The Alaskan Triangle and how it's fucked up. And please be careful and safe anytime you're in treacherous weather. Stay warm, stay safe. Yeah, cheers to never traveling that triangle. But if you have traveled it, please let us know. Email us. If you live in it, oh my God, please. Please. Uh. (laughs) Oh, hit us up on our socials. Oh my God, they're the same... No new ones yet at RARW podcast. And send us an email because we're fucking lonely. And we don't get any red rum and red wine podcast at gmail.com. And I know we said it earlier. Uh, I don't know if it's included in the cut or not, but not only can you leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts, but you can now leave us five stars on Spotify podcast. Yeah. So please, please, if that's where you listen to your podcasts, shoot on over to our page and leave us a review, like five stars, a few nice words, constructive criticism, like negative reviews help us, obviously. If you're nice enough. Even if you're trying to like, there's, you can be, you know, constructive in a positive way instead of talking shit in a negative way. Yeah. Not that we get a lot of those, but still we've gotten a few. It's just like, say what you like, say what you don't like, but be nice about it. (laughs) Yeah. You say, you dumbass bitches, research a little more. But other than that, it's great. I love you. And there you go. And that's it. That's the that's the comment. So, yeah, leave them down below. It really helps the show out. Even if it's a negative one, we'll take it. Okay, I've had enough. Okay, bye, bye. Miss Hobbs. <laughs> <laughs>